So um, it's nice to be back. I've been gone for a few weeks. I'm going to be gone for a few more weeks. It's a busy season for me in terms of travel. I, I've been on retreat for the last few weeks um, personally. Uh, and I wanted to um, talk about something um, that's going to be happening for me, which is I'm about to go on pilgrimage in a month. How many people here are joining me on pilgrimage? I'm just curious. One, two, three, four, five, six, yeah, a few people, seven, maybe, not sure. So we're about to go on pilgrimage together on a, a very unique pilgrimage called the Buddhist bike pilgrimage. And this is an annual pilgrimage, as pilgrimages sometimes are. Sometimes they're a once-in-a-life pilgrimage. Sometimes they happen once a year. Certain pilgrimages happen on different years, depending on the cultures. Um, um, there's famous pilgrimage that happens in India called the Kumbha Mela. happens once every 12 years, the big Mela, and then there's smaller Melas every four years. And... and um, Really, every culture in the world has some form of pilgrimage, some form of um, journey, either going to a, a sacred place or a place that's considered sacred because uh, a holy person was born there or died there or lived there, or it was it's a temple or it's a, a, a monastery or it, it's somehow offers the possibility of um, um, spiritual uh, insight, spiritual development, <coughs> spiritual inspiration, uh, spiritual practice. And so the, um, the powers that be in the Buddhist bike pilgrimage which I guess that's an odd thing to say since there's not a lot of powers there, um, have asked me to talk about pilgrimage tonight, which I'm, I'd like to speak to with you. And pilgrimage itself is, um, it's a, basically it's a journey. And it's a journey that one engages, one takes, one um, uh, sets out. And then the journey unfolds into a practice and into um, uh, um, uh, a living practice where you learn or you understand more than you uh, expected or something different than you expected. Like generally we have the idea if we go and make pilgrimage to wherever it is, Mount Kailash or Mount Fuji or one of the great holy places um, in Buddhism of which there are many um, that the idea is to get there and that's one of the parts of the pilgrimage that's important is the getting there but in fact in fact the journey itself is the pilgrimage what happens for us as we traverse what needs to happen to get to the goal becomes the richness of the practice of pilgrimage. And 
again, like I say, all all the great religions, you know, the uh, um, Judaism, Christianity, Islam. I mean, all of those religions make pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a holy place where people go to be inspired because they're inspired they go and to have their faith renewed um, and it's if you've ever gone I've gone to pilgrimage to Jerusalem it's very powerful actually it's a very powerful spot on the earth and of course it's totally It's very um, striking to go there and see that the main pilgrimage spots are all right on top of one another in Jerusalem. The, the Dome of the Rock, which is, I believe, the holiest place for Islam in Jerusalem, and the Old Temple for the, the Jews, and then the Church of the, I can never remember the name, Holy Sepulchre? Is that how you say it? A little louder, somebody. Sepulchre. Yeah, the, ch- the holiest Christian place. They're all right on top of each other. They're the same spot, really, literally, basically. And, and people from all these religions come to pay their respects and to be renewed and to wake up in, sense to the, in a sense to the teachings of that religion, to those religions. Or people go, if you're Hindu, you, you might make a, a, a pilgrimage to the Ganges, the great river in India. Or if you're Japanese, you might make pilgrimage to Mount Fuji. Or if you're a Tibetan practitioner, Mount Kailash is a very famous and holy mountain in, in um, uh, Tibet. Actually, our friends Kitty Sarah and Tanisra that Kitty was talking about, um, they, they went on pilgrimage to Mount Kailash. And a number of my friends have gone. Ajahn Sumedho went uh, uh, to to uh, Mount Kailash and I remember him talking about it. it was a dream one of the dreams of his life to go to Mount Kailash and you, you circumnambulate the mountain and um, uh, you know he was older when he went he could barely do it he ended up being carried and, and if you've ever met you know uh, Ajahn Sumedho he is not a small man I mean he's a big man and you know it's it's that's part of pilgrimage. You don't know what's going to happen when you engage in pilgrimage. And in the Buddhist teaching, there's, very, there's a very specific place where the Buddha talks about pilgrimage and, one of the, and the import of pilgrimage. And it's, it's at the story is called the Mahaparinibbana Sutta. Mahaparinibbana, it's the great nirvana, the great nirvana. And what that means is it's the story of the Buddha's death. And it's right before he dies that he says, he, he tells his followers to basically to make pilgrimage and that there are four important places to make pilgrimage, which are the, um, where, he, where the Buddha was born um, in Lumbini, 
where he attained enlightenment, which many people know, which is Bodhgaya, where he gave his first talk, which is Saranat, what's called Vulture's Peak, and then where he died in uh, Kushinagar. And um, so these are, so one way to think about pilgrimage is that it's entering the archetypal realm. And so even the Buddhist story is an archetypal myth. It's, it's that the, the being born, like the, the uh, going to a place where a holy person is born, is, is to begin to pay attention to and to acknowledge where a teaching is born, where understanding is born, where the Dharma is born in human form as the birth of the Buddha. And then going to where the Buddha was awakened is the realization of the Dharma in human form. That the Dharma becomes fully awake and that we acknowledge that, that we value that, that that's important to us to see as part of the archetypal journey that is ultimately our journey. It's not just the Buddha's journey. And then, of course, the third important place for, um, for pilgrimage that the Buddha described is, the, is the, his first talk. And so the, the, there's the, the birth of the Dharma, the realization of the Dharma, and then what we could call the actualization of the Dharma. The Dharma coming into human life as a formal teaching. And so the Buddha enworlding his teaching, his realization at this point. And so it's really a little bit, it's the archetype of we start out on the journey and then we go to the top of the mountain being that we get enlightened and then it's coming back into the world so that that realization, that understanding is a living realization. It's not just an abstract realization. It's just not going to the mountaintop. No, the Buddha came into the world and taught as part of the Dharma. And then, of course, the temporality of our existence is very important, and of any journey that we make, the end of the journey, which is characterized archetypically by death and the death of the Buddha. So, it's, so the pilgrimage is entering an archetypal realm, and a, in some sense a sacred realm or a holy realm. Now, the Buddhist bike pilgrimage is not exactly going, we're not riding to India and, you know, then across India to the different places. But we're, we started Spirit Rock and there'll be a kind of send-off. And, and just so you know, because many of you may not be there this time, um, it's, um, you know, it's something like six o'clock in the morning. It's freezing. It's spirit rock. It's very, wood acres cold in the mornings. And, um, uh, and there's a whole, you know, a hundred plus people show up to ride. And then, uh, I don't know, how many people support the ride, Bill? Do you have any idea? I think around 40 people. About 40 <laughs> people support the ride terms of sag wagon for picking up people and cooks and organizers and ad admin people and 
And then, of course, there are the monks from uh, Abhayagiri Monastery are also part of the retreat. Now, they don't ride bikes. That's not, monks don't ride bikes in, in our tradition. But, um, but they appreciate pilgrimage and they know the value of pilgrimage and they know the power of pilgrimage. So they've been supporters of the Buddhist bike pilgrimage from the get-go. And so Ajahn Pasano, who's the head now of uh, Abhayagiri, will be there. And, and then they're also at all the rest stops along the way where the, the, the pilgrims need to refresh and refuel and you know, take a little break. And so it begins at Spirit Rock and then we, we begin the pilgrimage from up at um, lunch at um, uh, Sai Tao Win Dharma Center in Sebastopol. And this is the center of, uh, of a wonderful uh, Burmese woman named Dr. Tin or Dr. Tin Tin. And then there's teachings that are given there, lunch and teachings. And then the, the, the pilgrimage continues going up through Northern California, bad, mostly small roads, beautiful, it's beautiful. And it's, and it's miles, you know, it's, there's a lot of miles. How many, I think we do 95 miles on the first day. So that's the, that's the hard day. But, and then we end up at a campsite after a big hill right at the end. I don't know, not great planning, but that's how it goes. <laughs> big hill. You do a big hill to get to the campsite. And then there's dinner, and then there's teachings again from the monastics. I'll probably give a little teaching there also. And then we spend the night there, and then we get up. There's, there's again teachings in the morning, morning puja, morning you know prayers and meditation. And then we set out again riding through the countryside to the city of 10,000 Buddhas, which if you haven't been there, is just an incredible place to go. And I would, I would encourage you to go. You can find out the times to go. But if you go into the meditation hall at the city of 10,000 Buddhas, there are 10,000 Buddhas in the meditation hall. And the story is that the abbot who founded the monastery used to stay up late at night making the Buddhas until there were 10,000. So you're sitting in a room with 10,000 Buddhas and, and you feel it, you know. And then, of course, you know, really it's like each time a person comes in, there's 10,001, 10,002, 10,003. But there's 10,000 always there. And then, and we have lunch there and teachings there. And this is more of a Chinese, um, uh, what's called the Pure Land tradition, a, a very devotional Kuan Yin uh, uh, tradition of Buddhism, beautiful teachings and tradition. And then from there, we make our way further north to Abhayagiri Monastery and have final teachings there. And so this is a, a certain kind of pilgrimage. This is the Buddhist bike pilgrimage, beautifully Western adaptation of, uh, of a tradition that spans all cultures, but is really a current kind of practice that arose naturally, organically, um, from some practitioners who wanted pilgrimage. And one of the reasons that I believe the monks really value the um, this particular pilgrimage is because it's not easy. 
you know, if you've ever ridden 140 miles in a couple days, it's, it's not easy. If you've ever done 140 miles of anything, like walk or run, you know, that's, that's... And so, the monastics particularly understand the value uh, of a practice like this. And sometimes for us as Westerners, it's harder to understand the value of going through something difficult like this on your own. Like, oh yeah, I want to do this, right? I mean, we go through things, but often we don't want to go through the things we go through, right? But to really say, oh yeah, I'm going to take this on. And so, of course, part of the, part of the pilgrimage begins even before the pilgrimage starts. It's with the inspiration to go, to, to commit oneself, to give oneself, to offer oneself to something that's not necessarily easy, but we understand that it's of value. And we may not yet know what the value is, but we trust there's, so there's inspiration and there's faith. There's faith that there's something good here for us and something for us to learn here, whatever the pilgrimage might be. And so the, the pilgrimage begins just with the idea of, you know, oh, I'd like to go, that sounds good, can I go, could I do it, can I do it? And, and this goes in the mind of almost anybody who's going to decide to do especially this kind of pilgrimage. But like I say, the, the monastic community appreciates this because pilgrimage and um, uh, wandering uh, on the earth as practice is woven into the monastic tradition. That uh, Tudong, what's called Tudong, is a, is a monastic practice where you just go out with your begging bowl and you wander through the world. And you don't even know where you're going. It's not necessarily, but that the wandering itself is a practice. And so, and it's, it's not easy. You don't know where you're going to get your food. You don't know where you're going to sleep. You don't know. In, this was done, of course, in, in Asia, in the jungles of Asia. So it's not like, oh, I'm going to get to a really nice campsite and they're going to have nice showers or they're going to, it's all going to be ready for the fire. It's no, they have a little, really kind of an, an umbrella and they would end up in the jungle at night. And of course, if you're in the jungle at night, you have some friends with you who might be in the jungle, lions, tigers, and, and this is part of practice. And you know, if you're, you know, kind of normal people would say, well, why would you want to do that? Right? And it's the same for the Buddhist bike pilgrim. You tell people, yeah, I'm riding 140 miles as a practice. Well, why? Why do you want The value of making each part of our life practice, then pilgrimage begins to make sense. Um, and the hardship was somebody, I think of Mitch, but of a course on a whole nother level, we're actually talking about our lives. What if there, there won't be a lot of fruit to your practice? Because that's where the rubber meets the road for practice. I mean, it's great when it's all peaceful and it's nice and it's all good. 
But when it's difficult, that's when your practice deepens. That's when practice comes alive. And often that's when people say when it's really difficult, all there is is practice. A friend of mine uh, who's been a long-time practitioner was a Buddhist monk for a few years maybe. Really good guy. I've known a long time. We've done some teaching together years back, many years. He had a heart attack. Actually, this is funny. Ties in on a bike ride. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> he had a heart attack on a bike ride on Mount Tam uh, not too long ago, and I I hadn't heard about this. And somebody told me, and I saw him. I said, Wow, what happened? said, yeah, he was riding, he had a bike ride, they had a cell phone, they called, they got the ambulance. In the ambulance, he went into cardiac arrest. So, and this is somebody who really knows how to practice. And he, you know, I said, well, what, what happened? He said, well, you know, I just practiced with the heart attack and I'm waiting for the ambulance and then in the ambulance and then the cardiac arrest happened. You know, cardiac arrest means you're dying or you're, you're, you've, they've lost you. And I said, how was it? What happened? He said, it was so peaceful. So I, I just want everybody... He, when he told me this, I got the transmission. Now he's talking about dying. He said, it was so peaceful. Now this isn't... I didn't actually mean to go here, but... Remember, part of, part of pilgrimage is that it ends, right? There's an ending. And there's an ending to all our lives. So, and, but he's practiced his many years and there is fruit to practice. And I, I've heard this so many times now when somebody gets sick or something happens or somebody else dies. All there is, somebody else gets sick who we love. All we have is practice, really. And so to begin to engage um, actively, explicitly, is a really important part of practice. Say, okay, I'm going to take this on. I'm not just going to take this on, but I'm going to take this on as part of my practice. The situation at work, the, the, what's happening with my the I have a relationship, you know, the whatever it may be. And of course, if we, if we begin to practice in this way, what's going to come up are the obstacles to practice. This is what practice is. So any form. So in the Buddhist bike pilgrimage, you know, generally the first thing that comes up for people are the hindrances. And the, probably the main hindrance that comes up is doubt. Can I do this? Will I be able to do it? And not just at the beginning, in the middle, right? And near the end, can I get up that hill to that campsite or not? And, you know, am I going to be able to make it? Can I make it messed up? Or why did I ever decide I wanted to do this bike ride and I, you know, I'm not in shape and I don't have the right bike and all that stuff? And there's doubt, 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 doubt. And that's a normal part of practice. And so what it means to go on pilgrimage is to work with with the fear that comes, to work with the uncertainty. That if you want to read a great book on pilgrimage, read Journey to the East by Herman Hesse. 
and it's a it's a it's a story about this kind of spiritual group going to this special place in in the east and then how they come apart in the middle of the pilgrimage because of that's part of pilgrimage and they don't realize it and, but they and they start bickering and they're fight and they're uncertain and what's happened and we've lost our way and and that's part of the feeling and that happens literally on the Buddhist bike pilgrimage you know they have these little markers on the road these little mar- then all of a sudden you're riding and I'm not seeing any markers I don't think we're I don't think we're going the right way now then of course you got to backtrack and you find it and then your mind oh I'm not going to get there lunch will be gone by the time I get you know it's and you get to see that the commitment is to give yourself to the practice and then you see everything that comes up is just practice it's just the mind it's just fear it's just doubt it's just uncertainty and you don't have to believe it you want to be mindful of it you want to see it for what it is and then of course then there's periods like you start getting into, into role and the samadhi comes this is one of the kind of cool things about the Buddhist bike pilgrimage you know when, when we practice meditation if you stay with your breath stay with your body get really centered in that there's a kind of well-being that comes with the meditation practice but it's actually the same on the bike you start to get a, a certain momentum a certain kind of concentrate the thoughts go away and the ideas go away and that everything gets and feeling the stroke of the energy and you're just on a roll you're just in a groove for five or ten or fifteen miles and then and then of course you lose your samadhi and then there's doubt and then there's how do I get it back and then there's contraction and it's a training um but it takes some courage to engage in a pilgrimage, to engage in a practice, really to engage in our life in a wholehearted way where we give ourselves to it even though life is difficult. Pilgrimage is difficult. This is from Ralph Waldo Emerson. He said, whatever you do, you need courage. Whatever course you decide upon, there's someone to tell you you were wrong. There are always difficult that your critics are right or you should not do what you're doing. To map out a course of action and follow it to the end requires the same, some of the same courage that a soldier needs. Peace has its victories, but it takes brave men and women to win them. And so in one way we could say that pilgrimage is beginning to build the capacity the capacities not just capacity the capacities that we need to live our lives in a very full way with our courage with our strength with our love with our compassion with our creativity with our insight And the difficulties will come, even interpersonal difficulties. I asked, I was, I was on a little Spirit Rock teacher retreat this weekend, and so I, I talked to Jack Cornfield. I said, Jack, I'm doing pilgrimage. You know, what do you got for me? 
He said, well, I'll tell you a story, but you can't use the names. <laughs> it was, here was the story. No names, okay. It's about, it was some Tibetan teachers, very high lama, of some other high lamas, here living here in the West, going to Mount Kailash, going to circumambulate Mount Kailash. And they're, they're going to go. And the, and the highest lama, he's like clear, we're doing this no matter what. So they get there and they get, you know, they're trying to go into Tibet, I think, from India and they can't get into Tibet from there. There's, there's you know, bridges washed out or flooding or something. They have to go around 2,000 miles to get to where they're going. They're, they're, they're taking a 2,000 mile detour <laughs> to get to where they can start to circumambulate Mount Kailash. They're doing it illegally. They're bribing Chinese officials every step of the way, right? Cash money. And he said by the time they got to Mount Kailash, they were at each other's throats. <laughs> And but the the hot, the head. <laughs> so I ha it hasn't been that bad on the Buddhist bike pilgrimage. So I just want I don't want to I don't want to put anybody off. And actually, all these hundred forty people or so together to create this phenomenon that's called the Buddhist bike pilgrimage, and then to enact that phenomenon together. And to do it, and uh, if you don't know, the Buddhist Pike Pilgrimage is free. It's all based on dana. Everybody offers, makes their offering so that this can happen. So the pilgrims may or may not donate some money or they bring food and other people who aren't even going either on the pilgrimage as a rider, as a pilgrim or as a support person also donate, donate food or money. There's a unity that is there from the get-go. And that is really a beautiful part of it that we um, puts this on, that we're, we're turning the wheel of the Dharma, one, one pedal at a time, right? One moment at a time. And there are different, there's the, the shared intention, the shared love, uh, the shared dedication, the engage, that begins to happen. In the beginning, often people, there's a lot of energy when you start, especially on the Buddhist bike pilgrimage. And one of the th insights you begin to see is, oh, the middle way actually works best. If you go really fast at the beginning for too long, you kind of will burn yourself out. And then if you take it easy, then you even see it's, it's not a race for some people. Um, <laughs> For some people who like to race, you get to race a little bit. But if you try to race the whole 95 miles, <laughs> that's dukkha. That's totally dukkha. Uh, but it's fun to play. And then, of course, you meet people along the way, people you didn't know. Maybe people as bike riders, maybe you wouldn't ride with them. They're mountain bike riders. And then the whole, the whole mind, the heart, begins to, continues to open up both, let me say, open and close, open and close, which is, of course, is part of doubt. There's the, this comes in, in biking practice. But also the passions come, greed, 
I'm gonna and what a great you know bike rider I am, and, you know. Although like nobody cares, just there. You're just there doing our work, whether we're tending the baby our friends. It all is based on being being here. And so then one of the great insights that it's not about getting to the place of pilgrimage. One year it had a, a man and a woman on a camel and then the floods for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And it's it gets a little at a certain point on this kind of pilgrimage, and I believe on any pilgrimage, you start to see the goal isn't somewhere else. The goal is to get here. And when we get here, then the Dharma begins to reveal itself. This is from Henry Miller. He said, one's destination is never a place, but rather a new way of looking at things. We start to see with the eyes of wisdom when we see that the goal is the journey itself. And so what happens at that point, or can happen when we see the goal is the journey itself, is we see pilgrimage makes our journey explicit. We think we're somewhere. We forget that we are nomads, that we are on a journey, that life itself is a journey. And so pilgrimage, that's why pilgrimage is archetypal, because it's, it's focusing on, on a certain aspect of what's already true that we may not be paying attention to, that we've been born into this world, into the world of the Dharma, and that we have this opportunity to awaken and to live our awakening each step of the way, and that at some point this journey in this form for each person here will end. And it's not a mistake, it's not a problem, it's just the way things are. And so, pilgrimage makes the journey explicit and it also begins to teach us about how to live the journey well. Because spiritual practice is not just about going away and getting awakened and then you're all fine. No, it's getting awakened and then living it moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day in this life with all that comes flat tires right hot like the the first day one of the things that's hard about the first 95 miles for some reason they put the Buddhist bike pilgrimage the last weekend in September if you know the weather in Northern California sometimes that's the hottest weekend of the year and like, so I'm training now, right? I'm doing some preliminary training. I'm riding in fog the whole time. <laughs> September 24th or whatever it is, I'm betting, <laughs> I just know, oh yeah, by, you know, by one o'clock in the afternoon, it'll be 95. And, and that, and you just have, you, you work it. 
You practice with it. You stay present with it. Because that is the journey itself. With the 10,000 joys and sorrows that are our life. I'll end with a quote from Dag Hammer, Hammarskjöld, who was the head of the UN at one point. He said, the longest journey of any person is the journey inward. And pilgrimage is part of the journey inward. And the journey inward is, the, is our life. It's the journey to discover the freedom that the Buddha saw, that, the, that he understood, that he realized. The freedom of heart and mind so that we can really live as full human beings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.